Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast for the first time in, I'm going to say, well over a year, recording in sunlight. Oh, my God. Has it been that long? Probably. Also, it's very overcast here and it's raining by you, so never mind. Yeah, it bounces out. Yeah, yeah. We're trying. We're doing this on a Monday afternoon as opposed to a Wednesday night, so... Uh, when you hear this on Thursday, if anything important happened, we didn't know about it. So, um, you know, here's our take. Wow. Miles, can you believe that thing happened? Oh, my gosh. Well, that changes just the paradigm of everything. Yeah. But you, you got to expect it from that guy, you know? Oh, or girl who could, or other who yeah. could expect such a such an outcome. All right. I think we're covered, right? Yeah. All right. S- Steve, insert that to whatever else happens. So are we done? Can we just end it on that and just put that like 17 times and call it a call a show? Listen, world's most efficient podcast. Some might say we're overdue. Yeah. So you can follow us at. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're going to we'll do a whole episode. Uh, I, Miles is back. Miles needed last week off. Um, how is your uh, your show going so far? Prep for it. Uh, so far, so good. We're uh, we're just starting the second week of rehearsals, and uh, we open in what's today. We're recording on the seventh, so we open in exactly tomorrow. We're opening in exactly a month, so there you go. It's exciting. Uh, it's a really good show. It's a really good team. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're anywhere near the Southwest area, I highly encourage making the trek out for it. Yes, as it gets closer, we'll have you uh, more. Uh overtly pimp it if in case everyone is around um and then you'll understand why miles is not here in about a month for an episode (laughs) you'll be able to pretty easily understand what's going on uh we'll probably get Miles. we'll probably get mark and and ryan back because that'll be i think we figured it out that's after telluride but before toronto right well perfect i think yeah that works out great uh that's an exhausting thought just festivals are great but the older you get, the more you realize how much you, you enjoy sleep and consistent food consumption. consumption. And, uh, yeah, you don't get it there. Yeah. Uh, the, but, the, the festival grind is, at a certain level, a young man's game. Oh, there's yeah, it, it truly is. And this is not really complaining because, listen, it's, it's, it's a privilege no matter what. But when you're in your, especially your early 20s, there's a, there's a romanticism to suffering doesn't exist in your 30s and 40s <laughs> then you're just like i'd rather not very like, you know very well is? said it's the opposite i found in a way with and sometimes it's this way but it's also sometimes the opposite with video games when i was younger you know i i, I just wanted to like fall into one now almost like i'll play it in spite of itself because like i have it and this is supposed to be my fun time so fuck you for not being fun i'm just gonna like power through right that's how I that's how I finished some of these games recently. Like Dead Island 2. I, I rap I rolled credits on a couple days ago. Like I didn't love it. 
but it was there and it was the only thing I had and it was well fuck you I'm gonna make you fun and lo and behold <laughs> actually I figured out what I was doing wrong it and tell me if you've ever ran into this and then we'll get into questions because we have a lot of questions for this week how often do you play a game that doesn't have a difficulty setting um, it varies. I mean, like your Soulsborne type games definitely are just like set at the one difficulty, which is fuck you. Um, yeah. so stuff like that, you know, it'll be rare, but I will do it. Generally speaking, I think we've had the, uh, difficulty conversation. I'll try to do yeah. whatever the normal or baseline is whenever Standard possible, normal, yeah. unless I sort of already have a conception that it's going to be more difficult than I'm anticipating, in which case I might do an easier one just so I can get through it. Um, yeah. but it's a case by case basis. It'll be very rare that I will crank it up to hard. I will have have to already play through it a few times and still want to come back probably before I go there. Sure. No, the, this one didn't have a setting and normally that's fine. You know, like I've said, I, I tend to play normal or easy just cause I want to, I want to enjoy the game. I want to get through it. I don't need to be like, especially with that star Wars game. Granted story mode was too easy. But also, you're a badass with a lightsaber. You should wreck stormtroopers. But on the flip side, you don't want to be like, two stormtroopers beat me? Kind of a Jedi, am I? Right. But for Dead Island, it had no setting. And it started out, I would say, medium difficulty. But then I realized it's one of those games where you're supposed to kind of play with other people. It's not a multiplayer game per se, but it has that like public option where someone can jump in on you and help out. Sure. And it, as I played it, I realized, oh, that's kind of required to have any chance at this. So it took a while being like, I don't like this. And I realized, oh, I just need like someone to help and that hopefully they're any good at this. And then I was able to progress, but it was, it was whatever. There was a couple of funny, uh, funny bits like the, the horror award show or the Romero awards they're going to at the end. Like I thought that was a nice bit, but it's a lot of repetition. Sure. And I could, I could live without that. But also we're in a weird spot where there's nothing out right now. Like, I'm not a Final Fantasy guy, so I got a weird, like, waiting period. I guess Spider-Man is the next big one, right? Yeah, because that's in, what, September, October? I think October. I'm going to look this up right now. Because I have my, you know, I have my my trusty game fly, so I'm not spending on these. Though I might buy Spider-Man. Because it's fun to swing around and shit like that. Oh, totally. No, no, I got plenty of mileage out of that one well after I finished the story. Yeah, I have, um... Miles Morales, and I still haven't finished it because I just enjoy it, but I know I'm close, so I just know I need to finish it before Spider-Man. Oh, you know what's coming out in the end of September that maybe will be good? I think we'll both be disappointed, but we're both interested. RoboCop. Oh, I I have no expectations for that. There's no precedent for there being a good RoboCop video game. Sure, but if it's good, you'd probably play it. If I heard it was great, yeah, I would absolutely try it out, but... I mean, I mean, for me, the best RoboCop game was Deus Ex Human Revolution, which I played for, (laughs) I want to say, the 360. Um, And I just don't know that any modern game is going to be both simple enough and complex enough to kind of deliver on that exact sweet spot. Sure. From what I'm looking at uh, on the like sort of gameplay trailer for RoboCop, it's first person shooter, which is not ideal, though I don't know that there's a good way to do a third person RoboCop. Beyond the fact that it's just cool to look at Robocop. But he does seem to be blowing people's heads off. And and at the very minimum, it needs to be ultra-violent. Otherwise, you're missing the point of Robocop. True. As we saw with, uh, was it Robocop 3? Well, yeah. Is that the one who that became was, PG-13? Yeah, with a different actor and a jetpack and, like, who's it for? 
yeah, he's like helping kids in like a housing project or something. It's it's like, boy, this is different. Um, that's probably the next big thing, I think. Well, I don't see big is TBD, but yes, high yeah, profile. I mean, at least like also when's yeah. uh, Texas Chainsaw? Isn't that coming pretty soon? Oh, that's that's actually um, very soon. I didn't have it on here because I think it's I think Game Pass has it. So we do still have to look into if we can do that as a thing. Yeah, we, we might struggle until someone, namely me, upgrades their hardware, but that's fine. But we'll, we can we can presumably do it. Oh, at the end of this year is the Avatar game. I don't know if that's going to be any good. I, it's one There's of those a, like, why didn't they do this like five to eight years ago? Well, maybe because maybe hopefully it took just that long to get it right. That's that's our that's the optimistic look. Uh, there's a new Assassin's Creed. There's a new Prince of Persia. Oh, yeah. The Prince of Persia uh, looks kind of interesting because they're going back to the platformer roots of it. Yeah. My, my not favorite part of that, but that's cool. Um, I don't know what this is. That's the other part when you're like, I never heard of this. Is that good or bad? Texas Chainsaw is, um, oh, in, in 11 days. Well, there you go. And then isn't Starfield like a big deal also? So that's what I hear, but isn't that like an Xbox only? I will look in a second. There's also a Blade Runner game at the end of the year. Oh, I heard about that. Is that close to like the old PC game? Probably. I, I thought I read that it was more story focused but i could be wrong i can get down with a story game uh folks if you know anything interesting coming out let us know because uh, we like games let's see immortals of avenum i don't know that seems like a whatever shooter uh atlas fallen is an rpg remember when you knew every game coming out yeah or any game I, coming out yeah <laughs> Yeah, Starfield, I think, is an Xbox Series X. It does look cool, though. Yeah. Looks like a, like a sci-fi RPG shooter, maybe? For well, first new well universe, I mean, no. we're, at a real, we're at a real loss for those. Can't find one of those yeah, right? anywhere. This is apparently the first new universe in over 25 years from Bethesda. So oh. from the Skyrim and Fallout people. So you create any character you want to explore, basically, the universe. In Starfield, the most important story is the one you tell your character. You tell with your character. So you decide your background, your traits. Interesting. You captain the ship of your dreams. I feel like it can't possibly be as good as it sounds, but that sounds pretty good. Well, it's a start. Yeah, I will I will definitely uh, be interested in that. So let's put that in my queue. This is just me shopping now on, on the air. Uh, Blade Runner, end of the year. For PlayStation 4 or Switch, what are random two things? Well, it depend, depends ideal. the kind of game it is. But uh, clear, clearly not something that's pushing the uh, pushing the envelope. No, it's from the people who did... Um, it's from Command & Conquer, Westwood Studios. I don't know huh. if they've done anything since then. That's intriguing. Immerse yourself in the gritty world. Explore over 100 interactive environments, including sets from Ridley Scott's movie. Oh, okay. A non-linear story that creates a unique experience every time you play. Uh, interact with 70 motion capture uh, characters, all with AI. Well, we don't like that part anymore, but well, we well, like yeah, them in video games. But it's a part games. of game design. It's, just, it's exactly. a different they thing. They should stay there. Know their role. Uh, Sean Young is in, the, in it. James Hong, Joe Turkle, Brian James, and William Sanderson. Okay. 
and you utilize the Esper photo analysis machine administering the Voight-Kampf replication test, fry a police spinner, analyze clues. So it sounds like a walking simulator of sorts. Yeah. I can't tell. It looks actually it looks very much like um a better version of the old game. Could which be. I don't know if it I don't know if it is the old game. But oh it says enhance, maybe it is. Well, Whatever. I, I, I can't wait to watch an IGN review of it and then never think about it again. Exactly. That's that's probably what we'll be doing. But that's cool too. All right. So, that was our games corner apparently. We like games. We wish we could play more of them. Uh, or that more of them were good. Let's take a question. We have... All right, here we go. Let's get you mad early so we can move on from that. Nice. Uh, Robert says, um, your favorite person, uh, David Zaslov, recently claimed that the WGA and SAG after strikes, uh, quote, saved Warner Brothers 100 million expenses last quarter. While local businesses and cities are reporting literally billions in losses after a little over 90 days. Assuming for a minute that Zaslov isn't just talking shit, which is probably a 50-50 proposition. How do you think this will affect the strikes and ongoing negotiations if studios are making moves to successfully preserve their bottom line while businesses around Hollywood are hemorrhaging money? So how does this impact the strike? Which, um, since we've last spoken, has uh, had nothing new happen. Well, I mean, the one I mean, you know, it's very on brand behavior for, you know, the ghouls that are making up the bulk of the opposition to the strike. Yes. Um, but the one thing I like about stuff like this is that unlike those like anonymous quotes about like, you know, forcing people out of their homes and stuff, this is yeah. like a tangible quote with a tangible source, similar to the Bob Iger comments from a few weeks ago. Mm. So I like that once the dust settles, we will be able to attribute these kind of things to specific specific people when you know any bullshit starts to get raised which because the most recent development being that not meeting meeting that happened on friday um where basically nothing happened but they used it as an opportunity to try and create some bad press that totally didn't work yeah so it's it's just i don't know they're trying to they're trying to play it off like this isn't affecting them but you know i i think the meme that i saw going around is oh i finally hit my my weight goal all i had to do was cut my legs off you know it's you're making you're making money by not spending money by not making the thing that your business creates like it's such a short-sighted sense of of any kind of gain you know let alone the amount of money they've lost and will continue to lose this year over all the big dumb blockbusters that they thought would make a billion dollars each yeah i mean i guess that's sort of just not surprising if that makes sense right no exactly nothing about it is surprising yeah it's more just upsetting um there's a yeah it's not surprising that they'll claim yeah this is working out great for us because they don't want to say that it's not because then that weakens their position so it's kind of just what it is there um side question to that uh josie demarco on twitter says with the strikes taking place what are your favorite movies about unions or strikes they said they recently watched uh, madawan and brassed off so that's interesting because all this recent talk about strikes and unions and organizing and stuff has sort of made me aware of how few movies I've watched where that is kind of a central dynamic. Um, 
So for lack of a better example, I would say a recent movie where strikes and uh, union activity do get a bit of a look in is Oppenheimer, at least mm. for a certain early section of it. Uh, it's very much a sort of sort of feels like a very timely uh, element of, you know, um, at the time, you know, physicists unionizing, but, you know, with the underlying, you know, communist things and all the bad buzz that gets associated with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for lack of any alternative that I can think of, I'll say that. Okay. I'll say an adjacent one would be Blue Collar, the um, Richard Pryor, Harvey Keitel, uh, Yafit Koto, I believe. I think there's a fourth person I'm forgetting. Early um, Paul Schrader movie. Okay. Union workers. It turns into other stuff, but I like the idea of just like it's about blue collar union workers. Um, I mean, you can say Norma Ray as well. I'm trying to think if there's another like strike type movie. I guess Reds, right? Sure. In a way, but I wish there was another like under the radar, like just, you know. I don't know. Sorkin's never done one. Where's the, where's the Aaron Sorkin Union movie, you know? Well, maybe do well, a little research on why that's not going to be know. a thing. <laughs> but you know what I mean in terms I, I of... I mean for the listeners of their war enduring. Yes. Well, indeed. All right. So, um, why don't we... Um, since you mentioned Oppenheimer, let's take uh, Kay Flea's question. What would you like to see Nolan's next project be? And who are some actors or actresses you'd like to see him work with? Same question for Gerwig. I know she's doing Narnia, but if she wasn't, which also goes back to last week where Ryan uh, said (laughs) his bet is that she doesn't make that now that she can make basically uh, anything she wants. Well, I read recently that uh, Warner Brothers were trying to have the Barbie 2 conversation with her like a few weeks before it opened. And she was like, no, let's wait until it opens, which very smart business decision, because now that it's a billion dollar movie, her asking price just went through the roof. Well, that's everyone. Um, Everyone involved. Yeah. Well, yeah, Margot Robbie didn't. She did. She didn't. And apparently Ryan Gosling has like a no sequels like clause. Like he wouldn't have even done it. If they uh, had done it like he I think one of his resistances initially to the project was this is the thing they're going to want to make sequels of. Right. I kind of like do one and done. So not only may he uh, not want to do it, but if they are able to get him, he might make more than the rest of them for the sequel. Yeah. If they ever do it. If he can be wooed back, I think absolutely. One, I think it gives them such a position of power, which is a nice counterbalance to the fact that Mattel is obviously learning all the wrong lessons from Barbie's success. You know, they see, See you know, the highest grossing, you know, film from a solo female director and, you know, this strong feminist, you know, female empowerment message and all the sly sort of meta humor. And they're like, oh, you know what people want to see is a Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie or Magic 8-Ball pg-13 thriller like what the yeah. fuck how do you make it? it's it's it's, it's that From, brand synergy like mindset yeah. of just like they're not marvel heroes you can't like have margot robbie's barbie show up in the Polly pocket movie and expect that to mean anything for anyone no it's it's uh kind of like what you said also i mean i wrote about this over the weekend which is up on the site now as of uh recording today but um you can't you can't the lesson to take is do nothing like don't try to make this happen and let it happen and when it happens you profit because as you said a couple weeks ago who's doing saw patrol what unhinged individual is like that's that's my double feature it's just that's not 
anything like this. And if you try to create either of these things, it, you don't. What you should be doing is letting interesting filmmakers have your IP or giving them the freedom to make a three-hour biopic. You know, that costs an absurd amount of money. But beca- but not anyone. But knowing when that money is well spent. Like, that money was well spent. I mean, Warner Brothers certainly wishes they had Oppenheimer. Sure. Totally. Know? Well, yeah, they would have had, like, a bumper year if that's... Like, that might have even counterbalanced all the money they lost on The Flash and Shazam so far. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what they should do is let people be excited about movies. Goes back yeah. to... What we've said, it's the movies. It is the movies that do the work. This was a year in the making because people were curious about Barbie, interested in Oppenheimer, kind of joking like, wow, those two films are going to go up against each other. That's going to be wild. And then instead decided, well, what if we just like champion them both and make it like a thing? Yeah. As opposed to, oh, one's got to vacate, which we saw for years. Oh, they just dated, you know... Superman gets a hand job. We gotta we gotta move out, you know, Spider-Man versus the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like whatever things, like you you couldn't have them in the same space, right? And and this is sort of a proof that you you can if they're different and interesting and and in a way so divergent that it becomes interesting to watch them together. Because that's that's the secret sauce. You oh know, yeah, Soul Patrol. By by the it, way, I I really want to live in this hypothetical Hollywood where a Spider Man fights the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That sounds delightful. It would be um, so great. Now wait, which Spider Man? Um, Holland. I think he needs to grow up fast. <laughs> yeah. So so he so um Flash is getting like just gutted in that movie, right? Oh, totally. He's the first to go. With losing Flash, probably losing Betty, right? Uh, losing Ned, I think. Or- Ned would be a tough one. Yeah, which is why you hold off towards the end, but then it's a real gut punch. Mm. Um, but yeah, Ned, Ned, I think MJ has to survive. They're the two finals, right? Sure. Um, no, here's the twist. MJ survives. Peter doesn't. Ooh, okay. She's the final girl right. and she has to go on. And now at the end, she's Spider-Girl because Spider-Man died. <laughs> I mean... Listen, I don't know which studio is, is putting this movie out, but I'm interested. I'm interested. Listen, pencils down, you know, solidarity with the writer's strike. But when the strike ends, we have ideas. Call me. Exactly. No, um, this is. But no, to the point of Saw Patrol, because that's actually a really good point, And we'll talk in a minute about a movie I saw over the weekend where I was very much against my will forced to watch a trailer for the new Paw Patrol movie. And listen, (laughs) I've always been aware of Paw Patrol, but for the most part, I've been able to, you know, more or less avoid looking at any of it for more than a minute or so. Um, So that trailer was a lot, man. (laughs) Like, that's painful. Like, and that's, and yeah, to go to your point about the secret sauce, like both Barbie and Oppenheimer were movies that people were excited for, like, People were excited for Barbie beyond just the Barbie brand, but because it was Greta Gerwig doing it and, oh, she and Noah Baumbach are writing it and what's their take going to be? And look at this amazing cast. It's not just that they're making a movie about Oppenheimer. It's that it was Christopher Nolan doing it and Killian Murphy was yep. finally going to get a leading role. And what's this going to look like? And it's there was a certain underlying mystery, even though I would argue that you can't really spoil either film. Like as soon as the trailers came out, you kind of got a pretty good sense of what each film was going to be to a certain extent. Um, But it's more about the mystery of just like, 
it's the moment to moment quality that can't be replicated in cameos or like stunt casting or, uh, you know, callbacks or nostalgia. It's the, it's the, just the moments of weird, bizarre inspiration. Like even in Oppenheimer, there's some really goofy, bizarre scenes. Like I fucking love the way he decides to stage the, uh, I am become death moment. Sure. <laughs> you, know, you know, the, like there's some, like he stages the, he has a suiting up montage. That's very dark night. Uh, like, yeah. uh, like both filmmakers get to make like weird big swing choices with these massive budget sort of pseudo blockbusters. And yet neither one is made with any expectation of anything being made to follow. And I think, there's something so unique about that and that and like both of them being done on a fairly significant budget but not an overblown one at the same time and in both cases you're seeing all the money on the screen so yeah no they yeah there's something they, so specific about this particular thing that like even if you could replicate it you wouldn't want to cuz even something yeah. that's so similar wouldn't have any guarantee of either being good or as financially successful to, to, totally it's just um, it's it, it's a circumstance that is so far beyond being replicable no and yet they'll try they'll hasbro try. is gonna um mattel's gonna try to make everything they can they, well, i think hasbro's gonna see them as the dc yep. to mattel's marvel and then they'll get all in on it too yep and then because they've been trying to push their join universe bullshit for years for sure um it'll be a it'll be a mess whereas like you said, the, the budgets are large, but especially in the case of Barbie, that budget increased as they saw the vision. That was that was as they were getting going, going, oh, you're going to need more money. We'll, we'll give you more money. And also a regime change, like, and they still supported it, like. Which it does is, not uh, always happen with some of these things. No. That, I mean, they wouldn't have killed it because it was shooting when they took over, but they could have easily been like, yeah, you're not getting another penny. Finish, finish it. Yeah. Figure it out. As opposed to. Oh, this is or, what they or approved? it could have like, gotten like an indifferent marketing push or something like that. No, it was I forget which people took over at the time because it's not Zaslav just inherited a finished movie, but um, was it Toby Emmerich or whoever it was? Doesn't yeah. matter. But they um, apparently like got it and went, oh, <laughs> like wow, the the prior people w- let this happen. All right, cool. Like not our fault if it doesn't work but we can like make this work yeah okay let's let's give them more money and let them just go to town and that also is fairly rare yeah um to your to your poor patrol point it's wild that i know people you know anyone everyone i know with small kids their kids like paw patrol i've interviewed actors well not recently but uh who have been like the only reason i can do this interview is because they're watching paw patrol in the other room like it's meant to be like put them in front of it and let the and they'll be there when I get back in a half hour. So now it's 90 minutes and you have to sit there with them. That's a big ask. <laughs> and it, it'll do well. I'm sure both I like honestly, like maybe they'll be able to spin a false narrative that it works with Saw Patrol because I'm sure both movies are going to do reasonably well relative to their budgets. I really hope everyone takes their kids to Saw 10. I mean, listen, dare to dream. <laughs> Yeah. Either that, or I, there's going to be a lot of really drunk slash depressed adults in, in uh, Paw Patrol. I'm fine with that too. I just, you know, what I I forgot, and I don't think they did it until I want to say Jigsaw, and and Spiral kind of didn't. But I love this new thing where Saw trailers have a vintage like upper song. 
Yeah, it, it spices it up because I will say like beyond like the sort of nominal like if it's Halloween, it must be Saw. I think yeah. the, the trailers were an area where the original run was kind of lacking because it would usually well, be they like. they didn't want to show you anything. Exactly. So it would just be like 30 seconds to a minute of people screaming and like the Charlie Clouser theme and then like, oh, Saw 8 coming soon. It's like, OK, like I appreciate a little bit of presentation to it, especially now that like. Each sequel the franchise gets kind of feels like a gift because nothing has yeah. felt guaranteed since after seven. Yeah, well, Joel Jigsaw, I think a lot of it was let's try to show that we're different while still making Saw because the trailer, if you remember, the instead of if it's Halloween, it must be Saw, the, the on-screen text is... Uh, I think it said, was it this year or this Halloween? It was something Jigsaw returns to claim ho- or reclaim Halloween. Right. And it, well, the uh, the Roy Orbison song is playing in the background. Yeah, which was yeah, very yeah. Cool. Even though it was very like a, this is a 3D movie trailer with the stuff falling a lot, even though it wasn't. No, but it had it was that meant vibe, didn't it? Yeah. That scene with the things fall and on, well, they're in like the, the silo felt very 3D. Um, and then, yeah, they, they Spiral did things very different because it was trying to be different. And then this one, I love that it's just like, we're going to have a Holly song in the middle. Exactly. I can they're, I can vibe with it. I loved it. I thought it was very... And they, and they didn't tell you anything beyond the setup. It was a very well-crafted trailer, actually. Yeah, no, like among their best, I would say. I mean, I thought the Spiral trailers were pretty universally good, but this yes. is also like got me very pumped for like a very specific kind of Saw movie that I think we're all hoping it is. Yeah, well, well, they've still not showed you the game or really the traps. You've seen a little bit of like, oh, they're all in something. But it's all the setup of like, you know how the joke has gotten to be that like, oh, you stepped on on his foot as he crossed the street. He's got to put you in the rack in the rack now. These are people who have actually wronged him. Well, like directly and specifically, which is part of the reason I think that we both think uh, six is one of the best of the sequels because yeah. it has a it, it feels personal in a way that a lot of them don't. And they share a director as well now. Quite. Uh, well, I mean, so does Seven, but he was he directed that at gunpoint. <laughs> essentially. It, yeah. Yeah. And it showed. Well, that movie was also two movies sandwiched into one. I don't know that two would have been better, but it was. I mean, listen, they're not, it's not bad, but it's, it's in the lesser tier. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll do again in a, in a month, in a month. I should probably like do an article with that. I haven't, I, I realized I never did at the time. Well, it would be a fresh way to look at it since I feel like we've done our rankings a billion yeah. times already. And this is possibly the last one. For, for a hot minute, definitely. Unless it's a huge hit, I, then maybe we get a whole new trilogy greenlit and David Gorda Green is directing them all for A24. Sure, I'm in. But, uh, I, well, and then Amanda's the star, right? Not, oh God, I can't convince Kelly to go if Amanda's the star. She's pissed that she's in the new one. She doesn't like, uh, she doesn't like Amanda? It's like her least favorite fictional character in anything. <laughs> and, and, but, but she's seen Hoffman. Yeah, she hates Amanda so much more. Why? She, she finds her so shrill and annoying. It's mainly like Saw 3 where she's like, like, I don't disagree. She's kind of obnoxious in that one. I can look sure. past it and I think she's fine in the other ones. But like when she showed up again in 6, Kelly's immediate reaction was like, ugh. And uh, it happened again when she shows up in the Saw X trailer. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's a cameo in this one. 
Oh, I'm sure. Same with Hoffman, but you know, we'll see. He's the voice, right? He's the yeah, yeah. Of all the people. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad he's uh, he's oh, yeah, essentially going to be at the that's end. What, if you're yeah. a longtime fan, you want to see some kind of resolution there. Like, yeah, if, we're, want... if we're lucky, we'll get a, uh, a blink and you miss it, Carrie Elways. Maybe. Yeah. Well, between one and two, so they got it. Oh, you you can get more Adam if you really wanted, because he hasn't been killed yet. Right, she oh, kills him yeah, in no, three. You're right. Oh, well, they could probably do his abduction. I feel like they either skimmed over that or they could flesh it out. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, someone's in his closet waiting for him to come home. Or something, yeah. Yeah. Could, yeah. I, I did. The trailer was, and we'll, we'll move off this in a minute, but it was so well crafted in that they even set up the person, you know, doing the abducting was clearly not him in the trailer. And then to have it, the reveal be that it's her at the end. It's. I don't know. The people involved knew what they were doing here. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, um, well, and it's a lot of the old the, crew too. Yeah. The newer, newer writers, they've only done, um, two or three of them. Did they start with Jigsaw? Yeah. They've done Jigsaw onwards. They're the Purvis and Wade of the Saw franchise now. Yeah. Which, listen, I, I, I wouldn't say that they have the best written movies in the, of the lot. But they definitely understand Saw. Oh, yeah. One, they've been with the franchise long enough that at this point I trust them just because of how long they've been there. Like, that's how I learned to feel about um, uh, Dunstan and what's the other guy who took over with four? Melton and Dunstan. Yeah, Melton and Dunstan. Yeah, who took over with four. Yeah, like at a certain point it was like, okay, Saw is as much theirs as it ever was Juan and Winnell at a certain point. Even though I would say... They well, they did an okay job. I think they might be the the least like writer wise of the of the group. Sure, but I mean, you're talking about degrees when we're talking about the <laughs> the scope of the Saw franchise. Yeah, well, I mean, you have um, the first one is Lee Wan L, right? Who's a solid writer, but also it's a proof of concept like first feature type thing. And it and as much as I love the first one, its shortcomings are young filmmakers at the time. Um, two is, is Bowsman's script, right? Which we all know was rejected for being too much like Saw. And then they were like, nope, make it in the Saw and shoot it. And then three is um, him and Winnell, right? Together? Yeah, although I think Winnell maybe is just a story, but I could be wrong. Well, I know he, I think he did an uncredited um, work on two. Because remember, they couldn't, I think the story was they were promoting Saw like abroad. When it made a lot of money, I'm like, we're making another one. And James Wan and Lee Winnell were like, well, we're busy. Also, James Wan was probably like, I can make another movie. And um, they essentially, I think maybe he did like an uncredited right. No, he's he's credited oh, as writing well, too, co-writing too. So it was, okay, can you come back and work on, on two? And I guess he was like, you're paying me how much? Yeah, sure, let's do it. Three, I, th- I want to say is the same credits. Let's see. Screenplay just by him. Story by 1L and James Wan. So they they crafted the original ending. Then you have 4, 5, and four, five 6, and 7 being uh, Melton and Dunstan. So you have one good one and three okay ones. Yeah. Well, and also with Melton and Dunstan, like about halfway through their tenure, they start getting distracted by doing the collector and the collection. So yeah. at a certain point, they kind of drift away while still having one hand on the wheel, so to speak. Yeah, and I, I would say the Jigsaw script is, is solid. 
if anything, oddly, the the direction which we we were kind of excited by at the time is is its mild flaw, and that's it's too clean. It's too studio looking, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I give the script even that much credit, but um, I think the script. I, is I think there's a than... lot of story and character choices that are just so flat and uninspired, and like just the base level of like what you would expect that you've kind of already seen a version of from previous movies. I, I don't know. There's no like Spiral had a take. Saw X seems yeah. to have a take. Jigsaw had no take. That's also fair. I wonder if, and I don't remember the order, did they pitch this before Jigsaw? Because I think the story, right? They've been trying to make this story for Saw X a oh, couple yeah, of movies I heard in that a row. too, yeah. They, so they kept coming back it was, to it. It might have been this was their original pitch, and they just got told, like, we want to give you the job, but it can't be a, a Kramer-centric movie. And this was their, like, pivot. And then I guess they were working on maybe re- coming back with this when Chris Rock was like, I got a saw idea. And Lionsgate was like, well, we'll do it. And then he he came over and told them and they worked on it together, I guess. I don't remember how that went, but it. Uh, I'm interested. We, uh, Miles don't know what I mean by this. We're, we were, we're so close to talking to them and it doesn't look like it's going to happen now. Alas. Because uh, we joked about that like a year ago, right? When they first, or maybe even on Spiral. We were like, we probably could get these guys. Like, there's not a lot of stuff, uh, podcasts or websites like us who appreciate Saw. And talk about it as much. Yeah. And uh, folks, they're aware. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) We're not doing this into a void. I mean, we might be, but at least they know. In any event, we're very excited for that. There will be be more of that soon. Um, Why don't you talk about what you saw this weekend before we do the last bits of questions? Sure. Yeah. Uh, So in addition to round three of Barbenheimer, as you do. um, I saw Barbie a second time. Oh, I did finally. So third time I did finally get to see Oppenheimer in the 70 millimeter, which was pretty dope, especially in the black and white scenes. I thought it gave it a real extra richness that um, that you kind of don't see otherwise. Um, So that was really cool to see. Also, fun fact with the 70 millimeter version, uh, one of the cigarette burns happens exactly over my head in the one shot that I'm in. Phenomenal. Now you know what to look for yourself in 70 millimeter. Yeah. Hypothetically, there's a projectionist somewhere who might have looked at me as a reference point. There you go. Love it. (laughs) So um, outside of that, uh, I caught up with two recent films. Uh, One of them is the A24 horror film Talk to Me by the Filippo brothers, uh, who are YouTubers turned uh, filmmakers, which, you know, awesome pipeline. Love to see it. Um, A24 giving them, you know, the resources to make their own creepy little thing. Um, It's got a great concept. It's got a great hook. Um, It's got a really strong, like, first 30 to 40 minutes, really strong. Are really creepy, really atmospheric. Got some really great scenes playing with the sort of possession concept, and sort of yeah. these scenes, you know, that almost parallel like you know teens experimenting with hard drugs for the first time, kind of. And I think that intersection is really interesting and provides for a lot of genuinely, you know, you know, tightening of the chest, sort of creepy moments. Um, for me, though, I think this one ultimately falls under the good, not great sort of banner. I, I think it's it hits a very specific point, and I think 
if you feel the same way, you'll probably know exactly where I'm talking about, where the focus of the story kind of changes to a different thing that's a lot less interesting. And then the rules of the world are so ill-defined and so unspecific that like you kind of spend a lot of the second half kind of meandering and not knowing where things are going and not building up any new momentum and like all the scariest scenes are in the early section and like you know the performances are good especially the lead actress uh, Sophie yes. Wilde but um the characters and the plot aren't really interesting enough to make up for the lack of scares and it's just it gets a little unfocused and it ends in a really strong point but i think that would have hit a lot harder if the build-up to it had been better so it's 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 kind of a mixed bag maybe a little less than the sum of its parts but i liked it more than i didn't sure same um it's bleak it ends on a downer oh it's Um, that's the other thing it's it's very it's kind of a downer throughout, to be honest. Yeah. And it, and it, there's very few moments of joy or excitement or inspiration. And like, not you know, a lot of horror films are very good without having any of that. But I think especially for the young characters and for the attempts they have at sort of, you know, having connection and having lighter moments, the fact that it's such a downer of a film and that it, it comes perilously close to having a massive downer ending as opposed to only a mildly downer ending... Um, it's pretty close to it's pretty close to a massive downer. Well, I, I I mean like, but like think about like how close it was to being even worse. Yes, yes, so that's true. It's it's yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag, but I think it's. I I was thinking about this the other day, especially. I think maybe it's just I'm especially noticing it because last year, in addition to in my opinion being an amazing year for film in general, being a really good year for horror, this sure. year's kind of in my opinion, been a super weak year for horror. You are you are not wrong. I, I actually can reference that, and I will, because we can compare. Well, because I was looking at my own list, and I'm, I feel like you've probably got one too, and um, just looking at my own data, like my bottom f- three or four, depending on how you count Cocaine Bear, are all horror yeah. or horror adjacent. Well, I was going to go with my my top five um, from the first half of this year and last year as a good as a good um, just period or top year. five horror top five horror from the first half of the year because I did the I did those as Sunday scaries so I have that right here oh go ahead because um, last year I, I wrote an article about how good horror was early on in the year um, and that was before we got like Barbarian and Pearl exactly yeah so this year my number five horror film is Final Cut which is fine you know i I don't Um, even think i know it final cut is one cut of the dead the remake oh sure 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 okay you'll you'll get around to it one day but you've seen it already so you know i've seen the good version it's i I may not i may not (laughs) i don't know uh my number four is infinity pool which is fair yeah again Uh, maybe i'll get around to it yeah three is brooklyn 45 which i did i did like I've but heard that one's sort good. of smaller scale. I like Ted's movies. Uh, my number two is Evil Dead Rise, which is solid. Sure. And my number one is Scream 6, which is good. I know Scream is not your thing. Though you're going to be challenged by that with the director of Scream 7. Well, yes and no. I mean, I'm not exactly challenged to see his arachnophobia film, as I'm sure you aren't either. I'm just hopeful it's now not happening because of this. Maybe. But it's also, not like, the Ready or Not guys did the last two, and that didn't exactly push me. Well, and Wes Craven did the originals. Like, the directors have never been the Fair. problem. 
I suppose. Well, maybe what if Christopher Landon writes this one too? It's, that is it's, a rumor. It, if, if, if he's too much of a genre purist not to authentically write it as a scream film, which means he'll authentically yeah. write it as the thing that I don't like. Fair enough. Well, here. Whereas last year, my number five was Men. We we had a lot to say about that movie, but way more interesting than everything else on that list last this sure. year. Sure, sure. Uh, four was The Black Phone. Yeah, solid. We, we, yeah, closer to like this year's crop. Yeah. But then here, number three was X. I really like X. Yeah, very solid sort of modern throwback slasher movie. X has grown into steam for me now because it's on HBO, I think, often. So like I'll catch a couple minutes of it. I I, I was right because I remember uh, coming out and saying how like that movie works if you just wanted to make a movie about like a bunch of people making a porn movie in the 70s. Like yep. that stuff is still just as strong. And when the horror starts, it's a pretty damn strong horror movie. I, I I don't think we're getting Maxine this year. Seems like a next year movie. Yeah. But I can't wait. Uh, unless it's a surprise like TIFF thing. But it wasn't in Midnight Madness. So I'm guessing no. Uh, and then my number two was Fresh. Fresh is great. Very good. Also Very good. Would, would be towering above everything this year. And then I really, really, really liked um, last year's stream uh, reboot, requel, legacy sequel, whatever you want to call it. But all of them were improvements on this year's stuff. So that's... It's definitely not the same kind of year. So, you know, I, I, yeah. So, so I don't have that specific kind of data, but what I can reference in my own list is that, you know, you look at last year and, uh, you know, yeah, all the ones you just mentioned, Barbarian for me cracked my top 10 just overall. Oh, Barbarian, Barbarian would be uh, my number two or three of last year in that group, which is just tells you how strong that group is because barbarians fucking the tits. Oh yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. No, so like just really great stuff all across the board, but you look at this year, for me right now, the best horror movie of this year so far is still Evil Dead Rise, and that's yeah. like number 19 on my list overall. So yeah, there hasn't been one to go crazy over yet. And like, you know, Knock at the Cabin, Mithrigan, like Meh. solid, but not super remarkable. And then you're getting into stuff like Talk to Me or The Blackening, which good, not great. Yeah. Um, and then you get to my bottom four, which um, Cocaine Bear, I know you liked a lot more than I did. I, just, I don't know, I even considered horror. It's one of those like horror adjacent, but like the fact that it trends toward next to some of these other ones is sort of interesting because then next you have Renfield, which I would say is the biggest disappointment of the year for me, at least. Agreed. Um, Has a lot of really great potential for great stuff and just doesn't doesn't do anything with it. Um, Mm -hmm. You got Skinamarink, which, you know, definitely works for some people, but we love it exists. I love love that it it exists, but also like. I don't know, man. Not for me. <laughs> my favorite part of that movie was as it ended, knowing you were going to go see it in like a day or two. And my immediate message to you was, oh, boy. Oh, boy. I, you you should have warned me better. I If I warned you too much, I would have poisoned the well. Yeah, I, I wouldn't he, have seen it. And I would have been a happier man. <laughs> eh, um, eh. And then my bottom, which I'm sure it has to be either the same or pretty close for you, is uh, Bo is Afraid. Which Bo is Afraid is... Yes, the it, worst movie of the year. I'm unfortunately, I think, does have to be categorized as horror in the same way that like an Eraserhead does, because it's that is the genre that it's evoking more often than anything else. That one I did warn you properly about. Yeah, and I listen. I had to know for myself because the, the reaction was so across the board. And one thing that's interesting about all three of those on the bottom is that 
they are all films where they absolutely have their defenders. And I know a lot of people who sure. each one of those is like their favorite thing they've seen so far this year. Yeah, who's, so, who's saying that about Renfield? I, I, I have people on my timeline who are like, I know somebody who's like watched it like 10 times, like after it came on uh, digital or whatever. Are you friends with Aquafina? <laughs> oh, she's not rewatching it. Are you kidding? She no. knows she's done better stuff. I, I have a, mm, never mind. I was about to say something about something I know about someone, but we don't have to get into that. But no, listen, that movie, like you said, ha- part of that movie works. It's yeah. just only a, about a third of the movie. And you know what? To c- take it back to talk to me and then to wrap up this uh this thing um um i i think it's a good calling card because they're, yes. they're definitely talented visual filmmakers well and, uh, special wise, special kudos to um the opening sort of one shot sequence i thought was yes, especially was well executed that reminded me a lot of like some of the best australian horror movies of like the late 2000s that you would see like the loved ones or you know thrillers like the square or something like that where there's just this sort of raw intensity to the way they were shot uh so yes really, and sudden, really cool sudden, to see here sudden violence somewhat yeah. grounded violence yeah all that was great um script wise i had a couple issues i think they also just don't they have too many characters and they don't need them so like yeah you got a couple redundant ones one the conflict between some of them is not always clear or like it's not always clear where people stand with each other well for for example the 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 younger brother right so we know what his purpose in the movie is, right? But he has that friend at the beginning who's just a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. But they, they spend a lot of time on, like, the fact that that friendship's kind of deteriorated and they're in different yeah. places. But, like, that doesn't really go anywhere. No. They didn't even bring him back to kill him. No, like, in another horror movie, he'd be, a, he'd be a body. And then with the friends, you have the, the two friends who kind of, like, bring the hand. Yeah. And, great and prop, one of them, by the way. Really cool design. Love that. Those two characters, though, suck is the problem yeah well they could have they should have just been one character they should have yes. they should have combined because neither one is an interesting enough on their own but as a composite or like or just simplifying i think there could have been they something were, there they were just enamored by like tall quiet character yeah short loudmouth character and short loudmouth character is annoying and tall silent character serves no purpose and together they serve no purpose and in fact they just exit the movie at one point yeah, it was really weird. I will tell you one thing I did like, though, that we didn't mention. Uh, Miranda Otto. Don't get to see her mm-hmm. in a big role super often anymore, but I thought she was really good as the mom. The bit where she's, like, interrogating everyone about whether there's going to have a party or not. I yeah, thought it was just, like, class, like, classic, like, A-plus, like, mom acting. Yeah, and then, like, she, she gets to turn it up a little bit towards the end, so she doesn't just feel like kind of an accessory in the background, which often happens yeah. with the parents in some of these things. That's fair. Um, yeah, so we we did we both saw that. We also both saw the other movie you're going to talk about. But quickly, I'll just mention two that I saw. Um, I saw two older movies. I actually went to the Museum of the Moving Image with a colleague, and we saw Starman in 70 millimeter. Oh, and Starman is lovely. I didn't remember a lot of Starman. Do you remember Starman well? I I've seen bits and pieces of it on TV. I've never seen the whole thing. You would like it. You should fit I'm, it I'm into sure one of I your would. next. I'm sure I would. I don't know quite. Maybe if I do a sci-fi one again, it's it was definitely um, on our short list. You could do it. You could do it for next year's Thirty Days of Love if you wanted. Oh sure, sure. Or I think Kelly's summer. seen it actually, but I haven't, which is funny. It's delightful. Uh, and then um, my colleague and I and their um, friends, we went back to their house and we watched a completely forgotten about '80s movie that was. Um, 
unhinged in the best way. Um, I think it's 1982, I want to say. It's um, actually today's shot of the day. It's Best Friends. Okay. Have you even heard of Best Friends? 82? I don't think so. Best Friends was an Oscar-nominated film. Okay. Best Friends was nominated for Best Original Song. Now, Best Friends is 82. It is Burt Reynolds and Goldie Hawn. Now, they play a screenwriting team. It's directed by Norman Jewison. All right. Now, it's written by Barry Levinson and Valerie Curtin about their relationship. So Barry Levinson wrote a movie in which Burt Reynolds plays him. And and he wants to get married and she doesn't. And then they get married and like, you know, hijinks ensue. Like he can't have sex with her at like her parents' house and he's upset about it. Like it's it's unhinged. It's so great in like this weird 80s hangout movie vibe. Jessica Tandy plays Goldie Hawn's mom. Oh, you know what you would like if you if you watched it? Ron Silver plays their like friend slash uh, I guess producer. Um, oh, okay. And he's just playing John Peters. Oh well, there you go. He's dressed like him. He looks like him. If I there is no way that Bradley Cooper did not watch this movie before oh, it was like preparation. Pizza. Yes, it's it's wild. Uh, I I would recommend uh, as a just very strange movie. You should check it out one day because okay. again, Barry Levinson decided Burt Reynolds needs to play me. Well, I mean, at a certain point in his career, that strikes me as something Barry Levinson would think about himself. Sure, and Burt Reynolds playing like a screenwriter, like pseudo nerd. It it it's very interesting. I recommend it as a just like. Very unique watch. Um, also a somewhat unique watch, the other movie that we saw. Quite. But I think I might even like it a little more than you. Well, actually, as a uh, prelude to the other movie that we watched, um, I do have one other thing I can talk about Ooh. very briefly. Um, so the other thing we watched was the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yes. And um, just as a quick precursor, my nostalgic history with the Turtles is definitely more muted than I think most people's are. Like, hmm. I definitely watched the cartoon when it was on, but it was never one Same. of my favorites. Oh, I, 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 I had a bunch of the toys. I especially liked the, the ones that are like the turtles where like the shell opens and there's like the little sewer inside with the little mini guys. Like, those were some like of my the, favorites yeah, from turtle, the era. Turtle Polly Pockets, essentially. Exactly, yeah. Like those ones and like I had some of the regular like ones in the vehicles and all that. I don't remember what specifically. You know what the wildest yeah. thing was about that, I remember? This was the era, if you recall. Uh, readers, listeners, some of you are children, so you won't. But once upon a time, your parents had to go like to Toys R Us and like fight crowds to get you toys for the holidays. And the turtles were like the huge item, at least one of the years. And for some reason, the hardest one to find was April O'Neil. Like I remember, it was like a like a success story. But my family acquired that one, and her accessory was a um, a camera, like a like a news, uh, video camera. That was wild. Swords and video cameras. But yeah, I, I, I think I have slight more nostalgia for you for it than you, though oddly not for the movies. Um, interestingly, well, I wasn't allowed to see the first movie at the time. Well, so that's what I was about to get to. So um, yeah, like the toys and I had the NES game, which was notoriously yes. difficult and like you could never get oh, past so the water hard. levels. It was impossible. Um, Fun though. I mean, until you get to the water level and then you just get stuck. It's like, okay, well, I had fun playing the game, but I guess I'm just dying and then that's it. Um, 
but yeah, the show's like, I watch it, but like I moved on from it pretty quickly. And the thing is, until this weekend, I had never watched a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Not a single one of them. Um, none of the old ones, none of the new ones, none of them. And I'd never really had much interest in it, to be honest. But uh, sure. the new movie looked good, and I love the art style and all that, so we'd plan on seeing it. Kelly was a big fan, has a lot of nostalgia for just all of it, all generations of turtles. Um, so what I figured uh, we should do, at the very least, is watch the original from 1990. And uh, so seeing it for the first time as a 33-year-old, let me tell you, first of all, if I had seen it as like a 10 year old, it would have been my favorite movie. Yeah. Um, I remember I watched the trailer a couple days ago and I remember it beat for beat because it was attached to like every VHS, I think, of the cartoon at a certain point. Sure. When it was coming out, because I remember, oh, what it looked like? It looked like a turtle in a trench coat and shredder the way you looked. Oh, that trailer is iconic to me. Movie, not so much. So that's so interesting because having no nostalgia for basically any of this and going into it like pretty cynically and with every reason not to like it, I had a freaking blast, man. I loved it. <laughs> I had so much oh, no, fun. It's, it has a – I think if I watched it now, I would enjoy it in a like – I'm trying to figure out the way I want to say this because you, you have a very different reaction. The, the movie I'm trying to reference is not good. But in the way that like watching them is like watching Howard the Duck. You know, it's I mean, like it's this, definitely from the same thing. era of Howard the yes. Duck, but I think it's doing what Howard the Duck is doing far more successfully. Yeah. It knows how to light the things. It knows what it's got with the puppets and the animatronics, and it's sort of – it's trying to stage things sort of dramatically. It's got a little bit of grit to it. It's got – like it looks like – it looks a lot more like New York Ninja than I think I was expecting it to, which sure. in hindsight seems like an obvious comparison. But for the kind of movie New York Ninja is, I was not <laughs> expecting it. Um, mm. No, it's just like it's, – it's big and dumb and stupid like any Turtles thing is, quite frankly. But I think it um, – I don't know. There's something about it for me that it was such a slice of such a specific era of time. You know, something about the, you know, ninja hideout that's also like a skateboard arcade that Sam Rockwell's hanging out in. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. There's something very bizarre and weird about it. Uh, the funniest shot in the entire movie is when... Um, they're all at the farm and uh, mm. April's talking about how like in Leonardo, you know, oh, he's been standing watch over uh, Raphael who's injured and, you know, he's been standing vigil and it cuts to Raphael and they've just like dropped him like sideways in the bathtub. Like it looks like they wheeled him in in a wheelbarrow and just dumped him. Yeah. In. It's so funny. Wait, did um, you watch all of them or just the first one? Just the first one. I have no, I have, okay. I have no patience for any of that other bullshit, but I'd no, heard, no, I'd the heard second one. I, I, I've actually probably seen most of the second one on TV. I've seen the Vanilla Ice Wrap. I've seen the Super Shredder. I've seen yeah. the other puppets. I've seen the stuff I would probably have needed to see. Yeah, the Jim Henson stuff. I think that I remember seeing that on TV as a kid and kind of in my mind, that was the whole trilogy. And so I didn't need to see anything beyond that, which Turtles my understanding is, is that's mostly true of two and three. Um, yeah. But one, I'm glad I went back to because I had a lot of fun with it. I know there's a CG animated one that nobody remembers fondly, and there's the Michael Bay ones that I had zero interest in. Right? Uh, something. Sure. That one, I, TMNT, I don't believe I saw, which is funny because Kevin Smith is a is a is a voice in it. There's a 2014 one. Yeah, the first Michael, the Michael Bay, Bay produced one. one. And then there's a sequel to that one. So maybe I only saw. The 2007? I know. I saw one of them. 
Axel, one of those three. They're fine. They're forgettable. Yeah, I nothing special. Don't know, don't care. Yeah. Um, so then f- from that we went straight into the new one, um, which I liked. I like quite a bit. Yeah. Um, listen, in a year that gave us Spider Verse and Nimona, it's maybe not one of the best animated films I've seen, but it's pretty damn great. I do think it is absolutely reinforcing just how much the first Spider Verse has been such a boon for. Uh, high budget animation in general because the way people are now experimenting with their art styles is really sort of pushing what the visual medium is capable of in really interesting ways so like with something like Spider-Verse you're replicating comic panels or something like Puss in Boots it's got more of a storybook feel to it here it's clearly got like a sort of high school sketchbook sort of vibe to it Mm -hmm. and I love how like roughly drawn all the characters are and the environments and how like certain things will be like really fluid and clean but then you'll see like explosions or dust clouds that are like just little scribbles and stuff like that and it all feels of a piece with each other so yeah the look the vibe of the world great sound design awesome trent reznor atticus raw score i mean oh yeah early you, on you, you I get was like, what, this is a bop oh yeah you, you get what you pay for when you bring them on and they they absolutely crush it as they always do so i think all of that and then beyond that, there's a really cool, just sort of laid back vibe to the movie. The movie's big on vibes, which I think yes. helps because it's not super strong in the plot or character departments. And I think the plot could be forgiven because it's got the basis for a lot of fun characters. And some of them do get to shine. Like, I love this take on April. Um, my favorite my favorite is, uh, is Splinter, though. I was just about to say Splinter, really well done. Great work by Jackie Chan. Like really feels like it takes some time to get that perspective that often gets sort of shuffled to the sideline in other versions. Um, So yeah, really good takes on those characters. The Turtles themselves... I mean, as with most versions, including the original movie, they never really move beyond their kind of one-dimensional characterizations, but their group dynamic is really effective. And I think, you know casting teenagers and clearly having them mostly record together and ad lib to a certain degree i think that does give it a very distinctive identity of its own that's different from other versions and that lets them stand apart um and that makes it all just kind of enjoyable because despite being a seth rogan joint it's not as overtly a comedy as i think you may expect like I was kind of not that it's it has funny moments, but it doesn't feel like it's trying to be funny as often as even like a Spider Verse is. No, it's it's being um, more of like kind of wise assery as opposed to yeah, over comedy. It's it's more it's more like you know goofing about and being silly than like doing jokes specifically. Which the jokes are Splinter. With the, with the Chris's and stuff like that. Yeah, or like, and but mo- the vast majority of the jokes are just references, which is yeah. normally not a great thing. But it it feels of a piece with you know the way the world is constructed and the way the turtles would have consumed pop culture. So that's all fine. But like, yeah. it's just interesting that it doesn't. It's it's not even a criticism, more just an observation that it's not trying to be that as much as one might no, expect. No. Um, I think for me, the biggest shortcoming is the villain. Um, I I think Superfly could be something. They set it up early on that like he has kind of a personal backstory with the turtles and 
you know, obviously him and all the other sort of side mutants play into the themes of acceptance and wanting to, you know, you know, find your found family and all this kind of stuff, which resolves in very much the way you would expect it to. Um, And I think there's potential for something interesting there, but he turns into a very stock villain very quickly. And, you know, at a certain point, he is just a big monster that they have to beat up and there's nothing more to it there. And that was a little disappointing. Um, It's cool to see that Shredder's in the wings, but... um, I mean, you know, we knew that. Yeah. I, I think the the biggest or the bigger issue is that there's just so many characters with a lot of them have very fun designs and a lot of them are, you know, voiced by great comedic talents who, you know, all shine when they get a moment. But because there's so many of them, it does feel like the cast in general is stretched a little thin and you almost mm-hmm. feel like they could chop out a few of them and like let the ones that are left maybe stand out a little better. Like we barely get a taste of, you know, Seth Rogen and John Cena's Bebop and Rocksteady. Giancarlo Esposito's in the movie early on, but like is so unmemorable that my wife was surprised when his name showed up in the credits. Which is interesting because I believe he's Baxter Stockman and Baxter Stockman was essentially a giant like fly monster. Well, yeah, Superfly is essentially an original character, but what he is is more or less what Baxter Stockman became. So it's a little interesting that they made them two separate characters, especially when you've got Esposito, who's like the king of like supervillain voiceovers totally and, and like you've I, got and listen, ice cube ice cube fits the vibe of the movie more totally but he's just but, doing 21 jump street this point. no there's no yeah but and i don't even think that's down to him i just don't think there's no. enough on the page like i don't think esposito would have necessarily done much better with the dialogue but yeah. um it's just it's an interesting creative decision but yeah so on the whole it's it's a, i'm a little more on the good not great but like i like it more than say talk to me i would say it's 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 a very solid you know it's again wildly exciting to see what animation is now capable of um and it's a fun new take on the characters it's got a lot of nostalgia for just being a teen and those years of kind of figuring yourself out um i would definitely watch the sequel that they've already greenlit exactly agreed pretty much the same take so um yeah if you guys want us to talk more about turtles you can let us know but otherwise we're gonna move on to the uh our last uh our last bit because the other thing i saw was the meg too and it sucked so that's what i heard and i don't care yeah (laughs) i was was never gonna see it (laughs) at best it was the meh which i was proud of that remark but other than that (laughs) uh yeah anything interesting in that movie was in the trailer so alas all right so um samuel lachlan has some questions for us we're going to wrap up with first up, which movie should have won best picture and director in 2011? Uh, he thinks um, Hugo deserved both Oscars. I mean, you know, it was my favorite film of that year, so I'm inclined to agree for director also. Uh, what was he up against? Uh, well, uh, the artist wins that year, right? Well, not that. Hang on. Let me pull up the other nominees. So I have that for you. Wait, I went the wrong direction. It's funny how you look at like what your memory is of things. And I was like, oh, that's the wrong period of my life. So yeah, has Vinicius wins for the artist. The other nominees were Payne for The Descendants, Scorsese for Hugo, Woody Allen for Midnight in Paris, Terrence Malick for The Tree of Life. Maybe Terrence Malick, but I would honestly probably just land on Hugo for both. Um, independent of the people at the time, I think Woody Allen was my pick. I really liked Midnight in Paris for director. 
at least. I, I think um, regardless of the person, if I was going to push that one for anything, it would have been screenplay more so. Yeah, I like uh, I, there's a there's a vibe. I think my picks all didn't make it. So uh, my top two films that year were Drive and Shame. I would have taken picture and director on either of those. Sure. Um, and I would have even taken director for Moneyball, which I think might be my pick that's, of the that's nominees. That's a big old snub that Miller didn't get in for Moneyball. Yes. You watch that and it's granted, that's the script best is, film, I think, still. It is. Um, the script is of great. Of the three or whatever. Yeah, of, of the yeah of the three, two of which are very good. I'm not a huge Capote fan. I did like uh, Foxcatcher, though. I think I think Capote's fine. I think Foxcatcher, like the first half is good, but it gets to diminishing returns very quickly after that. Because well, you also know where it's going. And you it's know where it's going and it time. takes too long. And then as soon as the focus moves away from the Channing Tatum character, then it kind of it's like, what are we still doing here? Yeah, it's get, get to the point that we know you're, you're getting to. All right. Next up. Here's a list. These movies all won the Oscar for director. Should they have won Best Picture as well? So they're going to go, I think they're in, yeah, they're in um, sort of uh, chronological order. But here, The Power of the Dog. You're definitely going to say no. I'm, uh, yeah, I would say no. <laughs> uh, I would say no, too. I, I wouldn't have had a problem with it winning by any stretch, but I, I definitely liked films better than it. Uh, Roma. No, probably not. I don't remember what did win that year, but I don't. Roma was not one of my favorites. Oh, you remember what won that year? Well, I obviously know what the film is, but I don't always do well attaching which came out the same year as which. Okay. Fair enough. Roma won director and lost Best Picture to Green Book. Actually, maybe it should have won Best Picture. <laughs> um, if it's between those two, yes. But I, I still think that year... Um, no, there was so many better choices. Uh, Black, a Star is Born. A Black Star Clansman. is Born. Black, Black Clansman was the one for me, but yeah. The favorite. The favorite would have been amazing. Yeah. So I, I still land on Roma as a no, but like better than what we got. Yeah. Now, the next one, La La Land. Well, famously. <laughs> you kind of won for five minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm down it's, with it's it winning, actually. It's weird because like now that that moment exists, you don't want to then take it away from Moonlight again. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, La La Land is the film I prefer of the two. Same. And, and Moonlight's good. Moonlight's very Moonlight's good. Moonlight's amazing. Number 11 yeah. that year. Um, but La La Land was my two or three. I mean, of the lineup, um, Hell or High Water was my one. I think La La Land was my two. Manchester was my three. So Moonlight would have been my four or five between that and Arrival. So in the top, <coughs> excuse me, top tier, but not, uh, I'm fine with La La Land winning. It, it, the Revenant. Arrival would have been my first choice, but um, yeah, La That's La Land would have been a good one. The Revenant. No. 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 Uh, I love Spotlight. It was my favorite film of the year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't have... take that away from Spotlight. How dare you? Exactly. <laughs> my second choice would have been uh, Martian, actually. Same. For both. I think The Revenant, the Revenant would have been uh, maybe my last choice of that lineup. You got Spotlight, you got The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max, The Martian, Revenant, Room. Yeah, it's my last choice. Oh, wow. Um, Brokeback Mountain. Yes. Yes. We all, yes. Know, we all know what happened there. Yeah, and even even considering Good Night and Good Luck is my preference of the lineup. But yes, Brokeback Mountain should have won. Saving Private Ryan. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, I like Shakespeare in Love, not as much as Saving Private Ryan. I actually like um, Life is Beautiful a lot. Yeah. I know it's trash to a lot of people, and I you can't really argue. That's just a, a taste thing. It, it is a taste thing, but I'm with you on Life is Beautiful. I quite like that one. And one with the other two. Thin Red Line, I can't I can't with that yeah. movie. I know people love it, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take it away from anyone. And you know what? I'm sure if I sat down and watched it again, I would like it. Because you know what it was? I could not get through that movie for the longest time. Well, that'll always it, do it. Yeah, like it's it's it was just it would something would happen watching that movie. And I you know what it is? In a way, that movie is relaxing more than it should be. Sure. And you start to like drift. Also that year, uh, inexcusable that the Truman Show did not get in for best picture. True. Man. Elizabeth just sitting there for no reason. Because other than that, Shakespeare in Love makes perfect sense as a best picture nominee. Elizabeth is there and I get it. But Life is Beautiful makes sense. Saving Private Ryan makes sense. Thin Red Line makes sense, right? It's a good they, lineup they, in general. Yeah, and they they just swapped out Elizabeth for the Truman Show and director and just showed how much better that lineup could have been. Exactly. That's uh that's a whole thing. Born on the Fourth of July. Um, depends what one. I'm getting there. One second. I'm gonna say that without knowing the rest of the lineup because I'm still scrolling backwards. I think it would have. I, I would be fine with it winning. I I can't think off like I wouldn't have a problem with it, but only if it's not taking something better away. I will get there in one second. Hey, you didn't give us years, so I'm just scrolling back on Oscar Oscar lineups. Um, every time I get the one with a weak winner, I'm like, is it? And then it, it's not that one. All right. So, yes. Um, the answer is yes, by the way, because Driving Miss Daisy wins. Oh, then, yeah. Born on the Fourth of July is better. Although, what's the competition? And I bet there's something that's better than both. Born on the Fourth of July is my third choice, because the other three nominees are Dead Poet Society. Sure. Feel the Dreams. And my left foot. I would take Dead Poet Society and Field of Dreams over Born on the Fourth of July. Of that group, yeah, Dead Poet Society or Born on the Fourth of July for me. Oliver Stone so wins director, okay? That's that's, that's why fine. we're doing these. Yeah, he totally deserves that. Other nominees, you got Peter Weir up for Dead Poet Society. You got Jim Sheridan up for My Left Foot. Driving Miss Daisy, not nominated for director. Field of Dreams, not nominated for director. And they replaced them with... Kenneth Branagh for Henry V. Mm, not bad. And Woody Allen for Crimes and Misdemeanors. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, they, they went there's, in on There's that. maybe an argument for Branagh, but I like that they went stone. Sure. What about Reds? We just referenced that earlier. Uh, I don't remember Reds very well. I saw it in film school, but I have like it's one of those ones that I saw in like bulk with a bunch of other things, and I just have zero memory of it. Um, I like it. My grandfather liked it. It's not my pick. So uh, Chariots of Fire wins. I would pick it over Chariots of Fire, I think. But I don't even know if I've seen. I think I've just seen the opening of Chariots of Fire. Fair enough. Well, you've seen one of the nominees because Raiders of the Lost Ark was that year. Well, that one then. There you go. What about The Graduate? Ooh, I do love The Graduate. I, I I am inclined to say The Graduate because The Graduate is... One of the best maybe, comedies ever made. Yeah, I was about to say, maybe one of my favorite films. 
Like, not in the top 10 or anything like that, but maybe higher than I realize. So, in the heat of the night wins. Yeah. Mm, hard to argue. It's The Graduate. So, I would pick The Graduate over that. Other nominees, Bonnie and Clyde. Sure. Bonnie and Clyde's super important, but I think I still go The Graduate. Dr. Doolittle. Huh. Whatever. Cute. And guess who's coming to dinner? Important. Um, those, the, they don't nominate Dr. Doolittle and director. Instead, they go Richard Brooks for In Cold Blood. Why not? Yeah. But other than that, you had Nichols Wynn, you had Arthur Penn, you had Stanley Kramer, you had Norman Jewison. By the way, Norman Jewison directed Best Friends. Well, there you have it. It's all coming back together. Uh, two more from this list. Giant, which is from... Oh, that's early. I got to find it. And then the other one's A Place in the Sun. So let me look up A Place in the Sun first. A Place in the Sun is 51. That year, it lost to an American in Paris. Okay. Other nominees, Decision Before Dawn, Cuvatis, and A Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, How do we feel I, about I, I, that? Do, I don't have any strong opinions about any of that, to be honest. Yeah, I think Streetcar will be my pick. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah, but I don't. Ha- yeah, it's not strong enough to make a um, make a stink, if that makes sense. I'm looking up Giant yeah. right now. Okay, so Giant. Yeah, yeah, uh, we want Giant over that because um, Around the World in 80 Days wins. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Other nominees, Friendly Persuasion, The King and I, and The Ten Commandments. An interesting lineup. Yeah. Um, No nominations for The Searchers. Interesting. Which, I mean, there's problems with that movie now. But I think yeah, probably you would probably pick up that lineup. Especially for the time, you would expect them to throw at something. And even, in, even so, I think in that lineup, I would give it to it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see the argument. Yeah, interesting. All right, so wrapping up with the last bit here, we have the gra- the Godfather, Gladiator, Twelve Years a Slave. They all won for Best Picture. Should they have also won Director? So Twelve Years a Slave, Gravity. It's Quaron. All right, Gladiator. Yeah, but Quaron's won. Is that his first yeah. or is his? I think that might be his. First, yeah, because he wins again for Roma. He wins again for Roma, but he hadn't won before Gravity. No, but then he technically won for editing, right? Didn't he pick up a couple of them? He well, yeah, but for directing, let's say. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Sure. Gladiator is a uh, Soderbergh for traffic, right? Yeah. Or keep, is it? Leave, leave that yeah. alone. <laughs> um, I'm leaving that alone as well. And The Godfather. Who won for The Godfather? I know this off the top of my head, and I have to look it up, but it's annoying me. Um, boop, 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 boop. It was Bob Fosse for Cabaret. I would give it to Coppola, personally. I'm okay leaving it with Fosse, but I, I don't have a strong, strong opinion. It's just funny that it lost director. Yeah. Which just meant that it was a foregone conclusion two years later. Yeah. That it just was happening. Which is fine, because the number two that year would have been Polanski for Chinatown. Well, there you have it. 
as much as Chinatown is a great film. Well, and I would have rather he won it for that than for The Pianist years later. But there you go. That's true. Actually, that would have solved some problems because he would have won it before you, people were as mad at him. Well, I guess that was right around the time, right? Give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, whatever. That's complicated. We don't need to get into that. No, All right. not this late in the I- show. No, no, no. What's what's power through the rest of these? At, at the Oscars, Al Pacino was nominated supporting for The Godfather. He was the best in that category, but it's a lead performance. Should he have won supporting or been nominated in lead? Um, um, I think he should have gone lead and Brando should have gone supporting. I understand I mean, why they did it the way they did it. And he's top build and all that. But Pacino is absolutely the lead of that film. I agree, though I understand why they did it, because I think Joel Grey winning for Cabaret and Supporting Actor was probably always going to happen. Sure. Well, and hey, Brando obviously won, although quote-unquote won. (laughs) Also, they got three Supporting Actor nominees. I think they wouldn't have had a chance of winning. Sure. I think no matter what, you were kind of sacrificing supporting. Yeah. But you've got Khan, Duval, and Bacina. Well, what I love about that lineup is that even though, yeah, I agree, I think all three of them kind of cancel each other out, the fact that all three of them do have nominations for that film I think is kind of wild and awesome. And you see a similar effect happen with um, the cast of the second film. Oh, yeah, no, it happens almost identically. It's, it's, a, different, have... it's a different three, but yeah. Yeah, you have Pacino move up to lead yeah, but and then, lose. Though, uh, that's a... Yeah. But yeah, you have De Niro win. You also have Gazzo nominated and Lee Strasberg. Yes. I was trying to place yeah. the names. Yeah. We got Yeah, that. Pacino so should have won for lead in that one. Yeah. He, he lost to Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. That's stupid. <laughs> I mean, other nominees, Albert Finney, Murder on the Orient Express, Dustin Hoffman, Lenny. I do really like that performance. And Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. So Great lineup. lineup. It's a stacked fifth lineup, place one. But it still should have been Pacino out of that lineup. Sure. All right. If Jessica Chastain, Zero Dark Thirty, and Glenn Close, the wife, both won the Oscar, could Olivia Coleman then win for The Lost Daughter? Then, if Jennifer Lawrence didn't win the Oscar for Silver Lines Playbook, would she win for American Hustle? I think these are all things that come up in our conversation, and Samuel listens and then asks us about them weeks later. Maybe. <laughs> um, so if Chastain wins, right, she beats Jennifer Lawrence. Sure. If Glenn Close wins, she beats Olivia Coleman. Would Coleman then win for the Lost Daughter? I want to say no. Well, I don't think she's Coleman seen his due. Was, um, that was the year that Chastain won. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, there was a, that was a, what that weird year where there wasn't a clear front runner until there was like seconds before it happened. Well, yeah, they um, but, just, but I don't think Coleman ever was seen as a major threat to win in that way. She's a, most people's number two or three, if I recall. I mean, I think that that year, if Chastain has an Oscar, they might not even nominate her for Tammy Faye. Well, that's what I'm thinking. So you you does that mean you get Gaga in? I don't know. That that would complicate things in a way I don't like. Uh, but if we're not doing that, right? Um, maybe Kristen Stewart catches on more. Or just Nicole Kidman gets another Oscar. Yeah, well, because that it's tough to say with that year because that was such a volatile lineup kind of throughout the whole season. Yeah. Um, well, we 
And then, I don't know, I just like Coleman having one for the favorite. The Lost Daughter, it's just hard to imagine. Sure. The, the favorite had a certain unique groundswell around it that, like, like she she seems like a given to get nominated now because of the favorite. She wasn't really that way prior. I agree. And, uh, and to that end about... Um Chastain, um, not Chastain, but about Jennifer Lawrence. I think if she didn't win, yes, she does one for American Hustle. Exactly. And you just don't, you don't have an Oscar for um, Lupita, which I know people don't like. But I think that would have been a slam dunk win then. Yeah, I which don't is disagree. Actually, this actually mean reminds me that we got another question that I have to find as we finish these up. Because if you recall, did you see this on Twitter that um, Chris Tapley asked a hypothetical a couple days ago? I did not, but go ahead. Um, I'm finding it because he asked about if, um, basically if, uh, here, Matthew Anderson, no, that was the wrong one. Um, we had, um, he asked basically that if, um, was it Return of the King? Like Return of the King gets delayed essentially. All right. So it's not winning. Can't win. Right. What wins best picture that year? And before you jump to say, I guess Mystic River was everyone's uh, thing, he was like, well, consider how the narratives change. Because I said um, Lost in Translation. Because remember, you're also adding another nominee. Sure. I mean, a lot depends on what that other nominee is, because that was a pretty stacked year in general. Yeah, but so many of the winners then change, you know? Exactly. It's a very interesting question. I don't know if I can find, I don't think I can find our question, but you know what I mean now. Yeah. So I thought that was a, a really interesting quirk that I, I remembered at the very last minute of us talking about this. So just interesting to, to, to consider. All right. And then finally, which five movies deserve to be nominated for Best Picture and Best Director in 2003? Okay, this is similar. Okay, this might be even be the question. That might have stumbled into the question. <laughs> I should read these before I finish, right? So... Uh, Samuel's five nominees for both awards. So they have a uh, no, they have no lone director. Return of the King one, In America two, Master and Commander three, Mystic River four, Cold Mountain five. Their six through ten are Lost in Translation, Seabiscuit, City of God, Finding Nemo, Love Actually. So you can craft your lineup. Hold, okay, hold on. Give me that again. One more. Hold on one sec. I'll give I'll give you the lineup. Let me give you the actual lineup, and then you can make any changes you want to this. Okay, go ahead. All right, so you have... Make sure I have it for you. Hang on. All right. Click the fucking button. All right, there we go. So, for picture, you have Return of the King, Lost in Translation, Master and Commander, Mystic River, Seabiscuit. Director is Jackson for Lord of the Rings, Fernando Morella, City of God... Coppola, Lost in Translation, Peter Weir, Master and Commander, Clint Eastwood, Mystic River. You can amend as you see fit. Okay, so basically, well, so we're taking Lord of the Rings out and then we're moving stuff around, or? Uh, well, he, he just said what five deserve to be nominated for both. But I think the interesting... Oh, I you're see. Put, okay. You're putting Lord of the Rings for one at both, right? Uh, well, yeah, probably. So why don't we do that? Only because Remove Last Samurai is not in the equation. Well, now, here, you can remove uh, Lord of the Rings, so you got to add one no matter what. So you can add Last Samurai. Oh, out of just every- nothing? Okay. Well, You then. can re-rank however you want. Okay. You can re-rank however you want. But, but are we interesting doing both, quirk, uh, both picture and director, then? Picture and director. And uh, the interesting quirk for you is you can't do Lord of the Rings. It got delayed. Because also, I'm not including it because I hate it. Sure. 
Okay, so just there's no Lord of the Rings, and we're moving things around. What would picture and director look like? You can have you can have any or all, any or none of them. Okay, got to think about that for a second. But okay, but we're doing all like they're getting picture and director. You're saying you can split if you want. What was the original prompt? I'm just trying to. I, I think I well, missed prompt, something along the way. The prompt was which five movies deserve to be nominated for picture and director <clears throat> in 2003. So they are not his nominees are for both. You know what? <clears throat> Let's do it that way. Pick your five, but they have to be both. There's Pick your, your five. Your okay, that, that that'll help me. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, I got lost in translation for both. So that's one. Um, I would. I would say Master and Commander then. I'm lesser on that than you guys, but I'm okay with that. Um, you know what? The Last Samurai for both. Last Samurai for both. It was my favorite movie of that year, so I'll obviously agree. There you go. I'll agree with Lost um, in Translation as well. I have a bold one. Big Fish for both. I'll agree with that. I'll definitely agree. The last time... Well, no, second to last time, because Sweeney Todd, but... Yeah. One of the last times Tim Burton looked like an Oscar or anything. Or it looked like a good filmmaker. Mm. Um, so those are the three that I see from the Oscar lineup. Oh, I would but throw City me... of God out there. I'm a big fan of that one. I'm lesser on that one, but I figured you would. So I have two and you have one, right? Yeah. Dad, let me backtrack and let's see what the other not other critical stuff this year has. <laughs> so let's see what the Critics' Choice did. As we wrap this up, the Golden Globes. Crick's choice are not super helpful. I guess the other one you would you could potentially add if you want is Finding Nemo. I wouldn't. I'm not as big on that one. I'm not either. Thirteen. Oh, I got one. <laughs> I got one. I'm adding Love Actually. I. Uh, you, I, you I still, don't think we both have one now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's look at the Golden Globes. Yeah, this is actually what the Globes are useful for. The Globes and the Spirits will get us our rest, rest of our nominees. Um, you, can, you can do Bend It Like Beckham if you wanted. Cold Mountain. Um, Girl with the Pearl Earring. Monster. Kill Bill Volume 1. 13. I might do Kill Bill Volume 1. I'm, I'm, something's got to give. Bad Santa. The Cooler. I like Cooler. Shattered Glass. Pieces of April. Shattered Glass is tempting, actually. Check the Spirit Awards, and then we'll go. Shattered Glass. Elephant? Oh, God. Oh, oh I've got mine. So you can you can do whichever one you want. I've got mine. It's not I'll, one you're I'll do pick, Kill though. Bill, then. All right. Uh, I, Shattered Glass doesn't miss by much, but I'm going to go with a very me pick. All the real girls. David Gordon Green. You would. That move, first of all, Zoe Deschanel is terrific in that film. So is uh, is Paul Schneider actually, and Patricia Clarkson. That might be his like, in some ways, his best film. I know I, you're not a. Uh, I I know that, you were that's not an, that's not an era. Well, it's not fair of me to say that's not an era of David Gordon Green. I'm especially interested in because I don't like what came after either. So maybe it, maybe yeah. he's just not for me in general. Could be his first. Four films are one era of David Gordon Green. George Washington, All the Real Girls, Under Toast, Snow Angels. That's, I did see Snow the, Angels. Snow Angels I thought was okay. 
Yeah, yeah, that that was it's very him. depressing, but it's well. Done. It is a it is a way down, a very well acted, very well made. That's him getting ready to make Hollywood movies. But the first yeah. three are very, like he was they they threw around like Malick with him with George Washington especially because he's just like observational. Yeah, um, you would like Undertow, I think. George Washington and all the real girls, I don't think would be for you. Um, but then he did Pineapple Express. I like. Which is fun for what it is. Yeah, yeah. He's having a good time kind of like herding cats there. Um, 2011's Rough with Your Highness and the Sitter. Neither. I didn't like either. Uh, Prince Avalanche and Joe in 2013 I like, but they're small. Prince Avalanche is... Have you seen that one? No, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I'm. it never struck me at the time. I don't think it would blow you away. I think you'd think it was fine. Two actors doing good jobs. Joe is... I mean, interesting. It's cage. It's unhinged cage, but like with a little bit of a purpose. I think it got it, it was still too early for that kind of Nicolas Cage reevaluation. Manglehorn is him trying to do that with Pacino. It's less successful, but he's good in it. Our brand is crisis should have been better. Like it's totally fine, but that movie should have been awesome. Uh, Stronger, I really like. A lot of that is probably Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. More so than the direction. Then he made three Halloween movies. Now he's made two Exorcist movies. Sweet. He definitely, he really does have phases. Yeah, and I don't really like any of the phases. No, but I, I, it's I, think, weird... I think, I think Pineapple Express, Snow Angels, and Halloween 2018 are the only ones I have anything yeah. good to say about. That's fair. I do appreciate, even if I, I like more of his than I don't, but I like the, I made four indie movies. I made three stoner comedies. I made an indie comedy. I made two arty films with like movie stars I wanted to work with. I made two would-be Oscar movies. Then I made three horror movies, and now I made two more horror movies. Like he, it really is like. Oh yeah, listen. As far as career trajectories go, like fascinating. I I've interviewed him, and he's an interesting guy. Like that is props to him. Like I, it's hard to hate a guy who's just like. This is what I want to make right now, and then I'm going to stop wanting to make it, and I'll never make those again. Yeah, he's like so, the Steven Soderbergh of garbage. I mean, sometimes Steven Soderbergh is the Steven Soderbergh of garbage also. Yeah, but his garbage always has like a veneer of class that I don't think green stuff has ever come close no, to. No, green, green is a little more working class to that. Yeah. Uh, I'm very interested to see what happens when he stops making horror, because I'm sure Exorcist was very well paying. So he's he can make whatever the fuck he wants now. So we'll see. Uh, let's wrap up. I have to go see Gran Turismo. Oh, enjoy. Yeah. And then Wednesday, actually, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it this week. We'll talk about it next week. I'll, I got a horror movie. Maybe ah. maybe we'll have a good one. We got Dracula. Last <gasps> Voyage of the, of the Meter. I'm so excited for that one. I want it to be good. I love everyone involved. You're seeing it this weekend, right? Uh, yeah, as soon as it's out. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about it next Monday. Oh, yeah, so, perfect. Perfect, that works out. Um, Gran Turismo got pushed to the end of this month, I think, so we got some time on that one. I, right, I, so, I'm going to be real. I'm probably not going to see that one. I'm going because I'm going, but I, whatever. Not my not my cup of tea, let's say. Um, oh, you know what is really good? And then let's, let's wrap because I have to get going. Bottoms. Oh, yeah, I've heard that's good. That looks good. I'm excited for that. I haven't seen a good, like, satire like that. Like, what if not another teen movie was good and made by the director of Shiva Baby? So just a satire on all Hollywood or uh, high school comedies? 
Oh my god, it's so funny. It's it's lesbian fight club. It's great. Yeah. No, I've seen the trailer. I'm I'm super pumped for that one. I don't think I've seen the trailer. The trailer does have has to have the line like what what should we just do terrorism, right? That's in the trailer, right? Something like that. Uh no. Oh, there's such a funny line like they're they're going to go fuck with someone and someone suggests a bomb and she's like, "So we're just going to do terrorism now?" Oh, and it's, no. They don't have that. It's they are they are so I don't know. I, I will see anything that uh, Emma Seligman and Rachel Sennott make. Uh, interview with Emma coming to the site week of release. Well, there that you was have interesting. It. You only directed this film, as far as we know, even though you wrote it. Uh, I guess you just don't overtly ask questions about writing, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Those are always in, that's an interesting one where it's like you're the filmmaker, you did all of it, but you're only here as director. We're just gonna that's what we're saying, and now we can have a conversation. Also, I think. That's such a small movie. They probably would have got a waiver anyway. Sure. Which, I guess that's kind of cool. I have conflicted feelings about the waiver situation. Wow, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. It's better. I, I mean, like A24 saying, like, we get waivers because we'll just do whatever they say to do at the end mm-hmm. is fine. And, like, some of these smaller films make sense when they don't have big stars. They're, they're working on a, on a small budget. But some of these ones with waivers are real movies. Well, that's just it. It's I, I think I'm more sympathetic if it's like just like a small project by like a no name just trying to like, you know, get off the ground. But like if all it becomes is like a bunch of like big names and like high paying people are like getting to continue working while everyone else is on the picket line, then that's when it becomes a problem. Exactly. Like, no, like, like the Viola Davises and the Paul Rudds of the world, I think, can get by for a few months. Yeah, that that those struck me as as not cool. And but, also, but I think to her credit, Viola Davis yeah. backed down from hers and said it didn't feel appropriate, which respect. Exactly. Which is which is all you want. Like the the Kevin Smith one. There's no movie stars in it. There's no big stars. It's like a two million dollar movie at the movie theater he owns. That's a, that makes sense for a waiver. Yeah, it's not it's not a it's not a it's barely a, um, a SAG movie. It's barely a, a Writers Guild movie. He might not even be in the Writers Guild anymore. I don't know. But that kind of thing makes sense. But when you have just like, there was something else that was, David Lowry's got a film that like got a waiver. That feels too big. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, the movie might be tiny, but it seems like you can command a budget significant enough that you should be following union rules as opposed to like a side project. I don't know. Like we said, conflicting uh, thoughts. So we'll get back. We'll get into that next time. So Dracula next week. For now, I'll say where you can be followed. And um, yeah, give me something else you're excited for because you're excited for that movie. What else? It's August. August sucks usually. Yeah, well, so it's actually, oh, yeah. So you can follow me at both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. Oh, sorry, not Twitter anymore. Oh, I hate this. You know, it's still Twitter for me because I haven't updated my uh, my app. Uh, no, it, it finally updated for me. I, I had Twitter still for the longest time, but... I guess you can follow me on X uh, or Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They're both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. Um, Let me think. Beyond that, because I, I did look at the upcoming slate recently and like it's especially if stuff starts getting like consistently delayed it's looking pretty dire out there for a little while now 
Um, but a handful of things that are sort of after the Demeter, probably the next thing I'm super excited for isn't until like late September, um, where we've got dumb money, uh, which I think looks quite good. And, uh, then saw X right after that. Yeah, it's definitely saw for me. Um, you can find me at Joey magazine, Facebook, Twitter slash X, Instagram, letterboxd, uh, blue sky threads, Probably OnlyFans before long. Awards Radar is on Facebook, Twitter, slash X, and Instagram. Um, yeah, no. Um, non-festival stuff, it's definitely Saw. Which, God, I hope the festivals don't interfere with that. Um, Dumb Money will be at Toronto. So that's where I'll see that. Um, and I guess Telluride will be my next like exciting thing. In terms of screenings, I want to say. Because I have those two next week. I don't think I have... I am saw bottom, so I don't have a screening of that now. I wouldn't say I'm excited for, like, Hella Mirren as Golda. No, I that won't seems see more that. Like an ob- that seems more like an obligation. I'm interested in, in like, talking to the director, Guy, Guy Nativ, the Got that short Oscar. So, respect to him. But, yeah, it'll be it'll be the Telluride stuff, so... Should I be a dick and be like, I don't know, Killers of the Flower Moon? Well, no, I mean... Honestly, after Dumb Money and Saw, it's probably nothing until Killers of the Flower Moon for me. Yeah, it's like whatever shows up at Telluride is the next thing I'm looking forward to, I guess. So, I don't know. David Fitcher's the killer. <laughs> we'll find there out. There you go, yeah. Because um, they move poor things, right? That's not September anymore. That's uh, December now, for now. Yeah. So, that also might go to festivals now. Because it was very com- confusing to me at one point, where I was like, it's opening two days after Telluride? That seems like a weird move. That was a placeholder, I think. So we'll see. All right. More on that soon. We just saw our first images for Saltburn. I'm sure that I will see that at one of the festivals. And that looks great. Can't wait for that. Emerald Final gets a lot of leeway for me after Promising Young Woman. So yeah. we will see. Um, next week, Dracula and uh, other things about David Zaslov. See what Yay for one of those things. No, I called him Dracula. Uh, it's the thing. It's like a vampire is a soulless monster. There we go. Did you see the thing? We're, we're wrapping, I promise. But did you see the thing where someone thinks there's a there's a Twitter account that's him because it just praises his stuff? No, but that would totally track. Yeah, I I, I kind of wanted to do a deep dive, but I was like, I can do other things with my life, but I really hope it's him. That'd be, that'd be fun if that were true. It would be, if only. It might be, who knows. All right, we'll be back next week. Uh, submit your questions, um, whatever else you want us to do. And uh, if we have a light enough week, we might break out that... Uh, that celluloid game again. That was oh, fun. Oh yeah, to play that'd be again. fun. Yeah, what's uh, especially on a next week? I think I don't have anything going on during that Monday. You're pretty. You're light on that week at the moment, right? It'll probably just be Demeter of anything. Okay, so yeah, if uh, if we don't have a, a hardcore end date for that, we'll we'll work with it. Two weeks from now, we have to tinker with the time a little bit, but not by much. We'll figure it out. Sure. All right. We can talk about that off air. All right. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe. Union strong. And we will see you at the movies. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.